Morning. Um, I'm afraid the sound guys are going to be sound checking me as I go because we were running late this morning. So uh, bear with me while we do that. We are going to be in Acts this morning. There you go. Another lesson in being prepared. Uh, don't let your 18-month-old play with your iPad with all your notes on because she'll lock you out because she doesn't know how to get into it. So I had a slight panic. Uh, but we're back in. We're all good. <laughs> we will have a preach today. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Acts 16, we're going to be doing verses 1 to 5. And going from there, I'll read it out. And the words may appear behind me. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he wanted, sorry, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So this section is, is written by Luke, and it's kind of a bit of a bookend. We, we've had uh, different sections. This is essentially the end of Paul's first missionary journey. And Luke sums it up with this phrase, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And we are going to be looking through this passage a little bit uh, while that's happening. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a clear gospel, and we're going to be looking at real relationship in this. And we're going to be looking as well, basically a bit of a recap uh, it's been a while since we've been in Acts, since, since Charty took us through Paul and Barnabas's little tiff, and, and Dan spoke to us on the most important part of Acts for us at the moment in chapter 15. So uh, we'll be highlighting that a little bit as well. And actually, as always seems to happen when I preach at the moment, we're going to be talking a lot about circumcision. <laughs> um, I, I've preached on circumcision in the Old Testament, and this is the second time in the New Testament. I think it's a running, running joke by the guys on the rotor. Thanks, Rich. Um, but again, kids, uh, speak to your parents uh, <laughs> after, after the service. Uh, they will help explain everything to you. Right. Um, so... Paul and Barnabas have gone on a missionary journey. They've set out from Antioch. They've kind of circled around. They've gone through Cyprus and into modern-day Turkey. Um, and then, having kind of completed it, they went back to Antioch, where some believers had turned up. And uh, these believers had been saying that, well, the believers in Antioch needed to get circumcised in order to be truly saved. That was essentially their message. And, and so Dan helpfully outlined that to us. But the decision of the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem was based on that. The people in Antioch, the church in Antioch, sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to get a decision. You know, Paul and Barnabas had argued it out, but they wanted that bit of extra authority. What is it for the whole church? What do we want to say to, to everyone? And so Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem. And there, in Acts 15, they, they get a decision. 
And so just, just a snippet from there, Acts 15, verse 10. Peter stands up and he says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that, we the, that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. What Peter wanted to highlight is actually our, our mode, our route through, or to salvation is through grace. It's not through obeying laws. It's not through doing the right thing. Those things won't save us. It is by grace that saves us. And if we are under a system of law, what quite naturally ends up happening is, is our, our feeling of salvation, our sense of salvation is performance-based. It is comparative. We, we look at other people and we go, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that person who's worse. Um, it's the same as when you ask people on the street, you know, do you believe in God? Do you believe you're going to get into heaven? And the amount of people that go, well, you know, I'm better than other people, therefore I'm probably going to make it in. And like a law of averages, I'm up there. And that is based on a law system. You think that you have to obey, and I'm a pretty good person, so I'm going to get there. The problem with this, well, many problems with it, but, but one of those ones is, is self-deception, I think. We, we very quickly think we're better than we are. Um, an example of this is... Uh, Recently, during the ashes, I've got a bit of a morning routine uh, on a weekend where I'll have my breakfast, I'll sit and watch the highlights, and occasionally, Zach will join me, my son. Now, obviously, not obviously, some people think cricket's boring, not obviously. Cricket is exciting, it is thrilling, it is a great game. Yes, bless Anne. Um, that's the loudest amen from bless Anne today. Um, but Zach joins me, and during one of those 10 minutes where he sits still and watches it, he turns to me and goes, Daddy, can you run quicker than that cricketer? And I go, no, not a chance. He goes, oh, I can. <laughs> um, and so this is an example of massive self-deception, because I can outrun Zach, but in his head, no, I'm quicker. And, but comparatively, in, in ourselves, in a slightly less humorous way, under a law system, we have that sense often of, of self-deception. There is, there is a plank in our own eye. And salvation by grace is different. It's not about us performing. It's not about comparison or performance. It's not about just making sure we're slightly better than the person next to us or with us. Actually, it's all about the Savior who's done it for us. And this here is what Peter is highlighting. He's saying that actually the Jews have not been able to fulfill this law. The whole Old Testament just shows how we have been unable to meet God's standard. And actually that Jesus Christ came and he did it all. He fulfilled the law. He saved us. And so why? Why do we want to go back to do that? Because if we're circumcising people, if we're telling them you have to do something in order to be saved, then we are back under the law again. We're back under how we were and all those issues. And so we no longer do those good works to be saved. We do those good works because we are saved. And this is actually the message 
that Paul and Barnabas are taking to the churches. Now, they've completed their missionary journey. They've gone to Jerusalem. And so they decide what's going to be really good is let's go visit some places. We've set up churches. Let's encourage them. Let's build them. Let's, let's bring this message that the apostles uh, and the elders in Jerusalem have, have brought. And so we, looking through that, we're going to see these two aspects today in this passage about a clear, clear gospel and about real relationship together. So we are, we're going to do some serious cultural context, and I know you all love this, um, because the clear gospel is also pretty closely linked to why on earth is Paul circumcising Timothy? Paul and, and, Paul and Barnabas, they got this decision from the elders in Jerusalem, and basically that decision was, we don't need to circumcise people. Great. Um, most men breathe a sigh of relief around about now. Um, but if that is the case, if we don't need to circumcise people, why is Paul straight away gone to a new town, said, Timothy, join me, and in order to join me, we're going to circumcise you? Is Paul a bit of a hypocrite in doing this? So, a bit of a, a, bit of a cultural context for us. Now, this passage highlights... Uh, where Timothy's parents came from. Timothy's, Timothy's dad was a Greek, and Timothy's mum was a Jew. Now, as you can probably imagine, those two cultures had quite different ways of seeing things. If you were a Greek, what happens is your heritage comes from your dad. So if your father's Greek, then he's the one in charge. He decides what religion you follow. He decides what happens in that family. And that probably occurred in Timothy's setting here. Timothy's dad had to say that actually Timothy wasn't going to follow necessarily the, the Jewish law the, and the Jewish covenant. He was to go along with Greeks. However, in Jewish culture, the heritage of kind of Jewishness came through the mum. This is something probably set up around the kind of between the Old Testament and New Testament. And it's quite a clever, quite a clever plan and quite a clever idea because the Jews have this thing of kind of, of kind of keeping their nation pure. We want to keep Jews Jews. We want to stay within the nation of Israel. And in the Old Testament, we see quite a lot about not intermarrying with the nations around you. And unfortunately... As the Jews disobeyed, and as they were taken into exile, and as they were invaded by other nations, that probably got quite a lot harder to maintain. And so somebody has come up with a fairly good plan. They say, instead of your heritage following through your dad, your heritage follows through your mum. Now, this discourages men from going and getting foreign wives, because if that happens, then your kids aren't, in fact, Jewish. Uh, we see in, in Ezra and Nehemiah where um, they come back to the promised land, they come back to, to Jerusalem, and the people realize that they've done wrong in taking all these foreign wives, and they send them away. And so the men, the Jewish men are there, but, but the, the kids and, and the mums of different heritage, they, they're, you know, they're sent away. They're not the nation of Israel. And so by deciding that actually Jewishness comes through the mum, it encourages the nation of Israel to stay 
racially the nation of Israel. That is their approach. And so what we find in Timothy is, is pretty much two cultures at war. Two sides where, where it started off with the Greek father who's dictated, uh, we're going to go this way, we're going to be Greek. But actually, Timothy's heritage is, is also Jewish. But for Timothy, there's, there's an issue. So he's, he's Jewish, but he's not circumcised, which means he's not part of the Jewish covenant. So his, his heritage is Jewish, but the Jews in that area, they wouldn't see him as such. They would see him as illegitimate because although he's got that heritage, he's not part of the covenant. He's not part of the people. And so they probably wouldn't listen to him. They probably wouldn't give him the time of day because they'd be like, who are you? This illegitimate person trying to tell us about a savior. We've got no reason to listen to you. So then the question is, why does Paul circumcise Timothy? Paul does it because he wants to present a clear gospel to those who need to hear it. He's trying to take out a barrier to people hearing about Jesus. He's not circumcising Timothy because it's a salvation issue. He's not saying Timothy needs to be circumcised in order to be saved. He's saying, Timothy, we're going to circumcise you because it's going to be easier to talk to people. It's going to be easier to talk about the gospel because of this. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings." Paul is doing this to show people just how great Jesus is. And he's trying to, to essentially remove offense so that people can actually be offended by the gospel first. This is part of Paul's ministry. Let's, and, and actually, it's something encouraging for us as well. We shouldn't be more offensive than the gospel as Christians. We should let people be offended by the gospel and let them be offended by what it is to have a savior who died, to have the most powerful God dying for us. Let the gospel be offensive. Let's not us be overly offensive. Because Paul's plan when he went to a new town or a new place First and foremost, generally, he rocked up to the synagogue and he spoke to the Jews first. And he wanted to show them how through the law, Jesus has fulfilled it and actually he's saved us from our sin. Now, if Paul had Timothy with him, who wasn't circumcised, who was considered illegitimate, 
The Jews are probably going to be more offended by Timothy being there among them than, the, than they are by the gospel. And they're not going to listen to Paul. They won't give him the time of day. And so for us, just like in this, we, we need to make sure we aren't providing barriers to the gospel. We aren't being so offensive or so unnecessarily offensive to people that they can't see the gospel. They can't get the opportunity to be offended by that because the gospel is offensive. In fact, the Bible itself says how the message of the cross is an offense. It's foolishness. Let's let people be offended by that first and not us. Let's be mindful of our culture and let's Let's have, a, let's have a clear gospel. Let's know what we believe. Let's proclaim the truth and not water it down. Let's, pro, let's proclaim to a world that needs to know that there is a right and wrong. It's not all relative. There is a definite right and wrong. And that God is good. And that we, by doing wrong, by disobeying God, by rebelling against him, we've sinned. And we deserve punishment. And that we are absolutely powerless to help ourselves. That is the gospel. And it's going to offend a world to say to the world, you cannot do it. You cannot save yourself. We believe that Jesus came fully God and fully man to rescue us. That we would not be left where we are, but we would be lifted up and saved through him only. He took the punishment that we deserved. He died on the cross. He bled where we should have. And that we, we inherit the riches that he deserved. He took our, our sin, our shame, our punishment, but we have been brought into new life. We are adopted children of God. We are brothers and sisters, actually inner people joined together because Jesus has saved us. Let the offense of the gospel be what people clash against, not the offense of us. I think there's a, there's a few times where the church, not necessarily us, but the church in general, we miss the point a little bit when we water down the gospel. When we try to say, Let, let's try and make it a little bit more appealing to, to society, to what the world says. Because by, by making it less offensive, we're kind of going away from what the, the Bible says about itself. If that makes sense. You know, let, let's proclaim that actually this is what we believe. This is what Jesus said. That, that there's a call for purity. That, that there is a a right and a wrong, and that there is sin. And just, again, amongst us, let's, let's try and be mindful of the things that we do that actually can cause barriers. One, just one example, it's not, it's, it, honestly, this isn't about the big change, I'm just trying to think of an example that's not going to like bring everything crashing down. But um, one example I think is, is church music. If you have a church tradition, that says, you know, this is the gospel, come and be saved, but you may only sing hymns from this point forward. It is, but well, that's a barrier. Because there are going to be people who just go, I don't, I don't like hymns. 
even in our tradition, you know, we can only worship God if it's soft rock. <laughs> you know, what about hip-hop? What about death metal? All of them are valid options for worshiping God. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to suddenly have death metal Sundays once a month, you know. But, but let's be mindful that as we talk into different cultures, as we proclaim the gospel, that actually these things could be barriers to people. These people don't relate necessarily to our style of doing things. And let's not, be, let's not hold on to things so tightly that we miss the point of the gospel. And, and another example, I think, just of, of kind of cultural understanding and cultural belief. I always remember a story about a guy who, um, he, was, he went to the Middle East. And there's a few things about that culture and about this story you need to understand to get the point. So, in the Middle East, showing the soles of your feet is an offense. Okay? It is. Thanks, Will. <laughs> but, but the soles of your feet are an offensive thing. And so you don't put your soles of your feet on things. It, it is offensive. It's not good. And the other thing you need to understand is that in a Middle Eastern culture, especially one um, with, with a Muslim belief or a Muslim heritage, scriptures are held in high esteem. So, for instance, the book itself has to be up on a shelf. There's a very high regard for that. Now, this preacher was speaking in the Middle East, and his topic of choice was standing on the word. And you can imagine how this went when he said, I'm going to show you how to stand on the word. Got his Bible, put it down, and promptly stood on it. And there was uproar, and he was actually chased out of the church and the meeting because cultural context-wise, he'd completely misread it. Now, to us, it probably wouldn't have made much difference. I mean, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Not sure how that applies in everyday life. Uh, but, um, you know, we won't be that offended. But for him, people got so offended by what he did that he, he didn't actually get to share the offense of the gospel. He didn't actually get to tell them about freedom in Jesus because he was down the road running. And so let's just be, let's just be mindful of kind of cultural barriers and things that are amongst us that are detracting from Christ. So there we go. Clear gospel. Secondly, genuine relationship. Now, we've seen in chapter 15, and, and Charlie helped us with that last time we were in Acts, we've seen Paul and Barnabas have a bit of a falling out over John Mark. Because John Mark, during their missionary trips, had, had kind of got a little bit scared and, and gone off. And now Barnabas wanted to bring him back in, bring him along, and Paul kind of goes, no, it's not helpful. And they get so annoyed about it that they decide, we're going to go our separate ways. So, how can I talk about genuine relationship when, just before this, people have decided to go two different ways? Well, actually, I think... In this passage, the beginning of chapter 16, we see Paul bringing Timothy along for the first time. And we see, as we read on in Scripture, I know it's a bit of a spoiler, but we actually see how that relationship between Paul and Timothy builds. And we see how Timothy ends up going where Paul sends him, with genuine, because of genuine relationship. And so, 
bringing it, bringing it back to circumcision again. Uh, in the Old Testament, in, in Deuteronomy, it says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, there is a sense that circumcision is more than just the physical act. So certainly in the Old Testament, the physical act of circumcision is what brought you into the law, brought you into the covenant, and marked you as the people of God. But what God is saying, even early on, is that he's looking for circumcision of the heart. And what does that mean? Um, There is no surgery. We're all good. Circumcision of the heart means we see your hearts, we see the, the things that control our emotions and thoughts, we see it so changed that it marks us as the people of God. How we act and think and live and feel is so changed and so different that we are undeniably part of God's family. And that follows through into the New Testament as well. Rory, helpfully reading from uh, Colossians 2, earlier had no idea how much circumcision talk was going to be going on today and and managed to read a a passage chock full of it. But there was that sense of actually being circumcised, not by human hands, but it's about something internal. It is about the mark upon us that marks us as gods. And in John 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So I think I can quite safely say that a sign of a circumcised heart is that we love one another. That we as the church are so markedly different from the world in our relationships and how we relate to one another that people can go, there's the people of God. There's the people who have heard a gospel and how it so affect them, have been so changed that they even relate differently. And so what we see, what we see in Acts here is we see Paul and Silas coming into Lystra and Derby and then Paul wanted to take Timothy along with him. Paul sees This young man who's well spoken of amongst the churches. And and Paul goes, we want to bring him along. We want to train him. We want to teach him. We want to equip him. And Timothy isn't just just like a rebound. Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways. He's got Silas and Paul's like, gosh, we need someone else. Actually, it's a sense of Paul's wanting to invest and equip and train up, but he's just wanting a real relationship. Because... With the way things have gone in this passage, the way it looks, Timothy's dad's probably passed away. The fact that, the fact that Paul is able to circumcise and that Paul's able to ter- take him on this journey, his dad's probably not around. And so Paul's investing in a young man in order to further the kingdom of God. And we see in, well, we see in the books called Timothy, Paul writes letters to him to equip him and encourage him, but he also refers to him as my true son in the faith. Paul is taken on a role. He's kind of stepped up. He's wanting to encourage Timothy. And I think 
Well, I think I just wanted to share a bit of my story. I mean, for me growing up, uh, for all of my teenage years, my dad wasn't around. I didn't know him for that time. And so over those years, some blokes stepped up. And I was part of a church where certainly two men who just, they happened to be elders, but they said to me, you know, anytime you need, just come round. And I watched countless hours of cricket, of rugby, of Star Trek, um, which for those of you who know me, it probably explains quite a lot. Um, but I spent lots of time just being with Christian guys who saw a teenage boy without a dad around, without a male role model, and they stepped up. And stepping up for them wasn't a case of, well, we're going to start a course of training for you. Stepping up for them was, come and be around my family. Come and just sit with us. And during those times, I could ask questions. I could ask about belief. I could ask about God. I could ask what the rules to cricket were. You know, all of these things. I could just, I could just be around other people. And it's incredible how just someone saying, just be around us, being amongst Christians has an effect. And I would happily say those guys changed my life simply because they opened their doors. They opened their families to, to a kid that needed that. And so my story is about how the church relates differently, how the church welcomes people in who need it. And for us, you know, that's, that's our challenge too. Let's love amongst us differently from the world. Those who need a male role model, guys, let's give them one. You know, let's welcome people who need families into our families. Let's build a church with real relationships. Let's have, you know, friendships between generations where we can learn from one another. You know, our society says kind of, you know best on your own. You're the individual. You know, older people know nothing. Okay, boomer. This kind of thing. That is not what we as a church are about. We know that people older than us generally have a bit more wisdom than us. You know, we can learn from people at different stages of life. I would say, you know, be deliberate in making those relationships. Be, be deliberate in speaking to people who are not your age. That we could build relationships, that we can learn from others, and that we can reasonably be challenged. Because what we see with Paul and Timothy, it's not an apprenticeship. It's not like a business thing. You know, come and join the business. Come along, we'll build churches, and that's how you'll get your pay. No, it's about relationship. Timothy ends up going to Ephesus and helping out in the church there, leading that, because Paul encourages him to do it. Paul sends him. Why does he go? Because he loves Paul. He's got that relationship. He wants to build a church. I think, I think marriage prep is a great example of, of the church in action as well. I think how an older couple can help, you know, a younger couple come into that point of marriage. They can, they can offer advice. They can say, you know, maybe you need to consider this. It, there's always a, there's a handy bit of challenge, but it builds relationship. And, and hopefully following on from marriage prep, there's still that bit of relationship. It's not it got too awkward when you discuss certain topics. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, it, it kind of, you haven't burnt all bridges, but you can be friends, and hopefully that endures. And for me, I'm just, 
I was just thinking of different things in friendships or in relationships or in the church that we just might need to be mindful of. One, for me, is bearing with one another. Now, we're pretty different, generally, I think it's fair to say. And the great joy of being part of the church is you're exposed to people who aren't like you. You're exposed to people who will be able to challenge you. Whether in a right way or a wrong way, there's going to be friction rubbing up against one another. But actually, that's part of the joy of it. Because you find yourself changed. You find yourself, oh, I never thought of it like that. Um, I also want to encourage extroverts. I want to encourage you to keep inviting introverts to things. Now, it's, you know, saying to people, I'm having a barbecue in half an hour. Uh, I'm having a meal tomorrow. You know, there's going to be that initial hesitance. Personally, as an introvert, you know, I've planned in folding my socks. It's going to take me a bit of time to rearrange that. Uh, there's, there's kind of unease in trying to change a plan. But it can happen. Introverts, I'm going to encourage you to take a risk. Folding your socks can be done on another day. You know, let, be bold. Let, let's, let's go and be part of the church together. Be challenged to kind of step out a little bit. It's not about just being comfortable all the time. Being part of a church isn't about being comfortable all the time. I think, well, I hope, it might just be me, but I think we've all had moments in the coffee time where uh, you get your cup of coffee, you turn around, and absolutely everybody else is in a conversation, and oh, I'm going to drink my coffee on my own. Actually, you know, let's do that uncomfortable waiting next to people until they finish the conversation, then we can all join in. Or let's look up from talking to kind of welcome in those who maybe aren't with others. Let's have that real warm, welcoming friendship that sets us apart from the world. And it's not about, and don't hear me wrong, it is not about being under law. It is not about feeling guilty and thinking, gosh, did I talk to two new people today? Did I tick that box? Because actually, if we're clear on the gospel, if we're clear on who we are, we know that we don't have to tick these boxes. We don't earn anything. It's not about comparison. Actually, we are, we're free to be the people of God because we're saved. We don't earn anything, but we're free to do it. We're free to challenge ourselves. We're free to be challenged. We're free to, we're free to sometimes fall flat on our face for attempting something. And we don't lose anything by trying something and failing because we're still saved. Are still saved by a glorious God who's given everything for us. And so Luke finishes this section of Acts by saying how the church was strengthened in faith. And I believe that church was strengthened in, strengthened in faith, faith oh, can't say it, the church was strengthened in faith because the church was clear on what it believed. It had been outlined by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and Paul and Timothy and Silas went around the churches saying, this is what we believe. Let's be clear on it. And I believe the church was encouraged because it had real relationship as well. It welcomed Paul, Timothy, and Silas when it came. They loved them. They knew them. There was real relationship there. And so my encouragement for us is ditto, essentially. 
Let's be clear on what we believe. Let's be certain of the gospel. And let's have real relationship. Let those two go together. We don't have to tick boxes. We don't have to feel guilty because we've not done something because we know that our guilt has been removed. And we want to love each other, not because we're ticking a box, but we're loving each other because God loved us first. Amen. I'm going to pray and uh, the band will come back up. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, you have saved us. That if we know you, we are a people who've been chosen, not because we are great, not because we are lovely, not because we are intellectual. You've chosen us because you decided to choose us. You've chosen us because you loved us. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you that what brings us together as your people is you. That we are brothers and sisters adopted into a family by a loving, loving Father. And I thank you, God, that you've given us your word, that we can know what you've said to us. That we can know what you say about yourself, Lord God. That we can be clear on your gospel. And I pray, Lord God, help us to be the right kind of offensive. God, that when we stand on your word and what you've said, that the world won't understand it. But God, help us to remove barriers so that people will see what you've done and who you are. Lord Jesus. Amen.